Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Distilled five times. Stop it. Hi, folks. Uh, you should probably head over to the shop right now. Uh, we have some stickers up there. All my friends like 308. Really cool sticker. Um, anyway, here we go. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to The Whole Magazine with your host, Brandon Cox. Thank you so much, Walker. We are back for episode 38 of The Whole Magazine. We have a day of weapons is what we're talking about today. But we have our guest here, uh, Marcus. Hello. Well, how are you doing, buddy? Doing quite well. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, we have, you heard him, Walker. Hi. Uh, and we have Cornette. Thoughts for next time. How's it going? Uh, how are you doing? Hmm. Pretty good, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, you're gonna learn. You're gonna have to relearn how to use this microphone now too. Yeah, uh, <laughs> take them a few tries. Yeah, fuck but you it, guys. We'll, we'll, we'll manage. It's fine. Uh, but we have our usual alcohol review. Not that one. Not that one. This one. I'm the official alcohol reader. What so. do we have today? I picked up something. Well, Marcus has the bottle for some reason, which is. A break from tradition. Gonna, I was going to pour it for you. You can pour I it. Let pour. me read it real quick. It's called Veil Pumpkin. Again, we're not sponsored. We're just reviewing it. A limited edition made with natural flavors. Pumpkin flavored vodka. 35% alcohol or 70 proof. Um, gives you an ingredients list to make something called Not Your Grandma's Pumpkin Pie on the back, which I won't go into. Won't even bother with that. Uh, and that uh, yeah, it's basically very, a very boring bottle. Here you go, Marcus. Yeah, I picked this up at Total Wine. Uh, we have the next lineup of basically three mead reviews ready to get, alcohol reviews rather. But this is our first one, the cursed and dreaded pumpkin vodka that everyone has seen and said, I don't want to try that, but too bad. God damn it. Don't worry, we have better stuff waiting. I don't want a whole shot. <laughs> we are. I'm sipping this, and honestly, we I can get a bucket it. to pour it out. Yes, please. Don't be. JB Lem cup. That is the sacrifice. Don't, bit. Just, just drink the whole thing. No, it's a shot. I will all sip take it. the shot. Who knows? It might actually be. You will start. It might be pleasant. pleasant yeah. You know. Here, hand me two. Yeah. It might be quite nice. Well, yes, I have to hand you two because it has to pass. Yes, it does. we'll see. I, I I'm a. Uh, well, now I need to. All right, I, you guys ready? Yeah, we'll. Uh, uh, let me give it a smell. Take, I'm not really keen for the. It smells more like pumpkin spice. It smells like pumpkin. a pumpkin spice yeah. latte. Yeah, it does. Let's go for it. Ready? Three, uh, two, two, one. one shot. It could have been a lot worse. Yeah, I was it expecting much worse. A lot worse. So that's a lot of not pumpkin. It's uh, and a lot of spice. It gives yes. me. It gives me. Yeah, two spicy pumpkin pie vibes. I'm getting. Yeah, you you tasting it now? A lot of cinnamon, yep. and a lot of vanilla, huge, a huge. very small amount of pumpkin. Yeah, there's a not bit bad. of sweetness it, into it. But it does feel like they've added sugar to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I think it was if you were to take like a if you were to take a pumpkin you pie, wash that down with some ice beer. <laughs> uh, take yeah, take a take a pumpkin pie, put less pumpkin, and a shit ton of everything else, and yeah. that's basically what that tastes like. Wasn't terrible, actually, not too bad. 
Like it wasn't disgusting. I, I thought it was literally just going to be pumpkin. Flavor. I was going to yeah, say same. I could go definitely ahead. mix this with like a a, a cream, like a Irish cream. Or oh, an Irish cream yeah. would actually be quite good yeah. with that. Yeah. I mean, that's basically uh, pumpkin, the make not a, your grandma's oh, pumpkin make pie a, on the back. Make a fucking pumpkin spice latte out of that with like an Irish coffee, but a shot of that. Um, a little yeah. kalu, and then just drown it out with Bailey's, and you're fine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so this intro episode to is, the segment weapons through the ages. Yeah, weapons through the ages. Uh, we're just talking about weapons in general. Uh, kind of like I actually really like this subject. Our favorite history Same. points. Um, kind of interesting things like that. Uh, I'll take the Bible. Uh, this is the <laughs> military <laughs> history book I picked up. This is from the Smithsonian. So hopefully, this book will contain any sort of weapon that we would want to mention and we can go ahead and flip in and get some information about it um why so, am i doing this it's because it's a random thing we're taking a break from the politics we're going to start doing a little bit more of these more interest kind of level things people find them interesting and we're going to go ahead and do them i want to first open up with um of course we have the stone age right mm-hmm. the stone age we have to kind of mention because well, that was kind of the on the paper rock. it says prehistoric prehistoric which I assume right. would so it's like, not really stone age but i guess i want to bring in my favorite my favorite weapon uh from prehistory which is the velociraptor's toe <laughs> actually to be really accurate it'd be a utah Talon? raptor because velociraptors are very small but utah raptor the utah raptor their their death claw their that's death my favorite claw. weapon from the prehistoric, from prehistoric era. Yeah. i like it mm-hmm. i like it mm-hmm. um i think the when we start getting into the Stone Age, you know, of course, prehistoric is Neolithic pro- or is, Paleolithic is, is problem. <laughs> prehistoric weaponry is problematic because it predates history, so nothing was really notated, and likely during those time periods, we have no archaeological record. There left. is an archaeological record from the Neolithic area or yeah. era and the Paleolithic era, but we're talking about um, people will say, "Oh, they're human, they're Homo, whatever." So homo, we have weapons and tools because they're basically the same thing from Homo neanderthalus and Homo uh, erectus. Yeah. And uh, pro- I'm not sure if we have others, but I know those two specifically. Yeah. We have ep- evidence of... But we're what, dating probably around 30,000, 20,000 years ago, folks. So if you can imagine that like lava, when it cools, is kind of like it's the same process for making glass. Like it's mostly silica. So you get a big lump of what is obsidian but it's literally just glass like it's actually yeah. glass with impurities and you break it in half flakes come off of it they're sharp mm-hmm. and we have like you know the advent of flint napping and shit like that when we start getting a little bit beyond the prehistoric and neolithic and paleolithic era where it would be neolithic we're, we're divided we're flint napping we're, is, we're no longer in that sort of just picking up a rock and using as a weapon now you're in the now refinement. we're sh- now we're refining the shapes of the of the rock well, just like walker said with the obsidian you're refining the flakes you you have you might have something uh, like called a hand axe that you're actually trying to make or a big spearhead or something. Yeah. And then like more all the other weapon. flakes you can use to make things like arrowheads because in the Neolithic era, um, you know, you start seeing like essentially like darts or javelins uh, with the atlatl is what it's yeah. called or like the, mm-hmm. the spear thrower. Um, um, well, continentally, that was, I think, in Southern America, uh, Central and Southern America, I think, where they... That was people were still using that whenever still using written it, yeah. history became a thing. The of course there's you know tribes where you know they're sort of they're sort of stuck in sort of those time areas. You know they're not necessarily advancing on. But you, we have the so you can ahead. unironically look at weapons development as I really want to stab that guy, mm-hmm. but he's too far but away. He's too far away. So you have a little rock, right? Which is like imagine a knife, and you're like, well, what if I put it on the end of a stick? It's like, well, he's still too far away. What and if I throw the stick? 
And there's well, still too far away. So the, what if I get a, a specific throwing device to throw the stick? There's the other aspect, which we're going to talk about a lot in this episode, where hmm, that person is very far away, but he has also he's wearing stuff that's in the way of me stabbing him from far away. Yeah. And there's this whole arms race and back and forth, you know. Um, but I'm going to read you some little impo- uh, some sort of pointers here for the um, just as Walker just said, the atlatl, uh, which in this uh, styling is in the shape of a very uh, mammoth. Uh, actual shape uh this dates from 10,500 bce which is pretty far pretty far in the past uh very interesting of course this was a device around the start of what some people might consider um civilization slash uh agrarian agrarian like like agrarian society cattle drivers that kind of Mm. you know they're still nomadic really i think they in this area they were still nomadic so very large amounts of hunter gatherers that uh like that was like the normal like for most of the planet was hunter gatherer societies and there's a smithsonian uh, example of actually a serrated flint knife uh which ranged uh eight inches in length uh and that was from 1.5 million bce to uh 10,000 bce but there was a huge you notice that huge gap of when that was still used that's like a estimation i believe or likely date period where it was still in use um well just think about like a lot of technology doesn't change over the t- over the years like yeah we used horses for thousands of years as our main yeah. method of transport or pack animals. As well as like industrial force too, like turning querns to grind meal and flour and shit like that. Driven by oxen and shit like that. You know, animals were a very big part of industry, not only because of like the because meat they're, and products they provide. Because they're not very smart and you can just give them a carrot yeah. on a stick and then they'll Literally walk they attach in it to their for back. six hours. <laughs> and they uh, just continue going. Uh, we have a actual um stone axe head which apparently dates from 4000 to 2000 bce which originated in the uk which is which uh i believe is around the same time that they were uh building the pyramids yeah uh very so you can tell that there's a huge cool difference stuff. in technology between some areas and other areas when people yeah. are making stone hand axes and other places are making like bronze swords and building I wanna, pyramids i want to redress the atlatl um for folks that might not know uh, it was a Basically, it was a it was a hand it was a handheld sort of I would call it a device that you would use to be able to throw a spear farther because it amplified the levers that you could you know well, impart think about, onto the think about spear. This. If your arm was longer, you could throw farther. Just basic physics. So it's an arm extension device. Yeah, that's all it is. This one that's depicted is actually quite relatively it's short. Just, it's just a stick. It just makes your it, arm longer. Uh, but there are examples of ones that are like a foot long, two feet long. Um, which would like, perform that any, same function. Any of our very few listeners who are into fishing will understand that like a longer rod helps you cast out fire. There's the same thing. It's like an arm Actually, extension. something I was going to bring up with fishing and such things as sharks or predatory fish that a lot of like islanders used to do is being Split. able to take said fish teeth, shark teeth, and being oh, able yeah, to put them sure. on a stick or said other thing, using yeah. them as a weapon. For sure. And There was well, examples they, of... I forget the actual name of the tool. It was a. It was still falling in the category of like stone and bone weaponry. Yeah. Where they would embed teeth in the edge of this wooden weapon to give you. If you've seen images like that, I forget the name. Pardon me, but or uh, obsidian in the case. I think obsidian in the case. The Aztecs. Yeah, yeah, they use that very, very. Cornet yet a point to great proliferation. Oh yeah, in in the islands, you'll see a lot of spears. Uh, the end is split into multiple different ones that cover about this area, so you're less likely to miss that fish when you stab for it. Yeah, but that's yeah, more that was of another a, reason that hunting uh, weapons weapon kind of still a weapon. Evolved, hang on, though. hang on, hang on. 
like uh like what he's going off of the weapons weren't just evolved for just killing people it was also for efficiency through hunting itself and being able to gather i feel like very early on there was a delineation between something that's useful for hunting because the the idea is you're killing things but yeah. killing people is harder and more important than killing animals I think, yes, but, so you have but, less you have to think power yeah. there's there's different methods there i think his point was is um is there was a distinction at some point between something that was used primarily for like i would argue that a fishing spear i would not want to attack the human with that well yeah your, that would the be penetration a case you would in get point. would be bad it would be bad the but the but, but but for their designs and you know weaponry that were designed to be used against you know fellow humans yeah um is where we're actually dipping into now but the stone era is definitely stone age and you know be, it, before it's common era cut things it cuts people it cuts, it cuts, people, cuts monkeys, animals it cuts, it cuts whatever you want to eat really yeah horses um early weaponry Orcs. of course uh what comes to mind is like the ancient sumerians uh ancient romans is this is our segue um, into the bronze age yeah uh egyptians and such like that we're moving very um, quickly through this whole where podcast. we have well i mean if you guys want to talk about uh another interesting thing uh in the particular era feel free to um but you know we're getting into bronze uh originally it was copper is where we started at before the bronze age copper um, kind of sucks though copper really does suck um yeah. in the sense of weaponry and you know the reason being it's far too ductile uh of a material to be used in weaponry that you need to have either a hold an edge or b just be rigid enough to endure the rigors of fighting something it's also expensive it's also very expensive yeah. um and then we have the advent of 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 bronze which was an alloy of tin and copper um or bismuth and copper or a couple other metals you can make tin. It, yeah or, it's an alloy of copper oh, yeah. an alloy of copper um yeah which provided phenomenal results it increased the hardness and durability of the weaponry granted it was nowhere near what we have now which is like steel and iron but it was a vast technological improvement from where we started with just copper it's also important to uh note that at this point there's large populations uh, or large settlements where uh, you have specialized workers, not someone who's like, OK, well, I need to eat today. There's no one like you can't go to the butcher at this time. Like if you want to eat today, you're getting food. Right. Yeah. So at this time, you do have uh, specialized work where you might be the guy who makes bronze weapons. And other guys are the guys who go hunting and other guys are the guys who uh, farm the animals and the crops and everything. So almost uh, there's at a, the point almost of start of like being, an industry. You know, it was like almost at the point of almost having a said Mything person. Well, you had, yeah. So you, yeah. well, it person is. Start. You, you do have someone who's at this point. I, we're talking about civilization. I mean, you even have people who are thousands of years before are this point. Smiths. You know, we yeah. started getting into more diversifying and actually getting real roles in society. And we're sorry, we were, we are deaf. We're deep into the agrarian cultures and stuff like that, where people Ag are now settling agrarian. To, agrarian cultures, where we're now actually oh, settling yeah. down in places and stuff like that. Um. So yeah, there was definitely when you're not but to even get into to, bronze making. Like there was a whole, um, not really global, but Eurasian uh, trade network for bronze and tin. And there was uh, people from very distant lands bringing tin to make bronze to Egypt. Like you know, possibly even I think uh, where the modern UK is or like Northern yeah. Europe. Like there was literally over the that area of the continent, not really sub-Saharan Africa, but like Eurasia. There was a whole trade network dedicated to this. And so there's a certain level of sophistication there that I don't think a lot of people realize uh, was lost. Like we went backwards after the Bronze mm -hmm. Age collapse. Yeah. To mention this as well as uh, 
in the, the relevance of this sort of type of weaponry now that we're talking about with bronze and copper and stuff like that. Um, these weapons, you know, the first really organized armies were that of the Sumerians, these ancient Sumerians, which carried shields and spears and stuff like that. And um, that was around 3000 BCE. And so now we're actually starting to see a very, you know, now people are just soldiers. You know, now we have the farmers, they take to the market. We're starting to see whole economic systems develop, which is very cool. And with that allows time for people to innovate and in how we get stuff like bronze. Bronze uh, is really good at um, like mass production. Like it's a good material for mass production because you can cast it, you can into cast shape. it, and then refine it later, and then you can right. uh, basically sand it down and then work harden it by hitting it with a hammer a bunch of times. That's kind of how you make a Bronze Age uh, swords: is they would cast the rough shape, clean it up, and they just keep smacking it with hammers to harden it so it would be a better sword, hold an edge better, be more durable. Yeah, ancient Egyptians were both still using copper and bronze weaponry to great proliferation. Uh, during their their reign here, very small amounts of meteoric iron. Um, yeah, we have uh, until the technology the to era, make iron wasn't there, but the technology to utilize meteoric yeah. iron was there. Yeah. Um, diving into some sort of like, whenever I think of Romans, I think of gladius or gladii. Um, you know, hoplites. Yeah. I think of the phalanx. Oh yeah. Uh, which is a very, 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 very. Um, so we're not really in the medieval era. No, we're still. This is, this we're is still the traveling. classical world. Yeah, we're still traveling there. Um, the the Romans. You know, how often do you and your fellow men think about the Roman Empire? You know, all the yeah, time. That was, that was a meme for <laughs> a little at bit. Least, there. Yeah. At least once a day. You know. Um, but if you think about it, a lot of I would say. Interesting history happened in the Roman era. Not only do we have technology, technological developments as far as like material science, but tactically as well. The Roman army was ma- were masters of logistics, uh, being able to field four legions uh, and have them move across a countryside is a logistical nightmare, right? On foot Definitely. with horses pulling carriages and stuff, and no less, still being able to cover tens of miles in a day with thousands and thousands of people is incredibly impressive. But they also have things like developing the idea of the phalanx and, you know, um, their gladius and spear. Well, the phalanx was developed by the Greeks and the Anatolians. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're, they're Greek sort of the, things. In the, so if we really want to start with the Iron Age, we really should be talking about the classical Greeks and the, um, the Asian powers at the time, like the Persians or even really the Bronze Age collapse, uh, one of the theories of why the Bronze Age civilizations and that whole, like, there was basically a huge power struggle. You have the sea peoples destroying uh, these big nations. That Previously, you see these nations being able to take a hit, like the Hittite Empire, uh, the Sumerians, uh, the Egyptians. Like, they're able to lose armies and still continue ticking, but all of a sudden, like, there's no records. They're just, we find burned out settlements and everything. Uh, one of the theories there is that there's people who knew how to manufacture uh, good, usable iron and make things like armor and swords that were better for, like, essentially, you have to get into the idea of the arms race. There will always be an arms race between protection and offense, right? So as you make hide armor, hide shields, you need something harder and sharper than stone to get through, so you use bronze. Now they make bronze armor, you need something harder and sharper mm-hmm. to get through, so you ma- you have good iron at least uh is harder than bronze and then so there's this like arms race there and that may be one of the reasons why there was a huge upset in the region 
though nobody really knows it's all speculation all um, speculation because nowhere is it like written down really i mean we have examples of some uh you know archaeological record of things being written down like accounts of battles and shit like that um interestingly when enough we, get into we have the, some, uh, the, the classical the classical greeks their mythology basically like if you read the uh the iliad they're using bronze weapons mm-hmm. like the mycenaean like ancient greeks to them the, the people who are basically demigods are just so we have gods. two weapons in this smithsonian book the zippos and the copus mm. which in their archaeological record here are actually made of iron and those were dating to 6th century bce as well as the 5th century bce so from about 5000 bce to 4000 bce the greeks have now have they now have iron weapons uh which is interesting in this archaeological record yeah um, and that's really the phalanx comes from the era of the classical greeks uh the you know the little warring city states Athens uh, Spartans uh, though they were I think were called Lyconians or something like that at the time yeah um, they really pioneered like the Western idea of the military like all of Western military tradition can be traced back to uh, basically what the Greeks did which then the Romans copied and refined so the marching in the formation like the square uh, fighting as a unit not individually. Um, this tight shoulder to shoulder shield wall stuff that exists well into the medieval era. Mm-hmm. This can all be traced back to the Greeks, and shoot even into phalanxes. like revolutionary war era. If people were still standing in rank and sort of fighting in that yeah. side of style, which is line battle kind of you know kind of linear shit. tactics is a way to yeah. uh, call it. I think um, going into Roman siege weaponry um, such as the ballista, huge skip in, uh, in such as the. I, I mean, where there's only so much like. De- de- development between that but we're still kind of in the same we era talk, we could talk a lot we're about talking about the, uh, the roman legion and oh no a, a weapon i want to mention even just like switching from militiamen to professional soldiers the weapon i want to mention and this will be perfect for that is the plumbata the plumbata and the pilum or pilum if you want to pronounce it like a roman pilum. the um so everyone if they play mountain blade banner lord i do um you'll be quite familiar or total war you'll be familiar with the pilot or the pilum which is the roman javelin basically is what you can call it very long pointy end with a very hefty shaft that they would throw at some decent range about 20 to 30 meters is what we're figuring Mm -hmm. through record Um, but you also had something called the plumbata which was a throwing dart and this throwing dart was quite impressive it could be thrown 100 meters, and it was heavy. But it was just how you were able to throw it, where it didn't require much skill. You literally just lob the damn thing. Mm-hmm. and You, you have, just got to have a good arm on you. <laughs> you just have a bunch of people who can throw this to 100 meters, and you can lay down some business. Issue was, it was so easy to throw that the enemy can just pick it, it up, up and throw it right back, back at you. Yeah. So, you know, there are the cost and benefit. You don't have to train somebody nearly as much, but you can still just throw shit at 100 meters whereas the pilum or the pilum you would have to be a little bit closer to and do that kind of engagement i think it's important to kind of backtrack a little bit and talk about the persian and greek uh war where uh basically you see the the emergence of heavy infantry versus light infantry Mm. and and, uh the real benefits that having armor give you like uh at the battle of marathon i believe um the uh, the Greeks and like for forever after the battle, they they didn't care about any other achievements other than I was at marathon. Like I ran at marathon. Um, 
they uh, would smash into these lines of uh, of light infantry who have like a projectile based uh, way of fighting. Like they're they have people who would carry these big wicker shields in uh, in front of the line, and you have archers and people throwing javelins and stuff like that behind the the shield wall. But when you wear armor, uh, you have a lot of protection against projectile weaponry, and right. so the like even some of the imperial like because this was the Persian Empire, they have troops from like far reaching regions. They're using stone arrow tips against people who are wearing iron armor, <laughs> and you know that just doesn't it's not going to go through. Out, just outclass, yeah, it's not going to work, right? So, uh, in the Roman era, you see that they they're they didn't really use archers. Their projectile wep- like weaponry is that the idea is you have the plumbata and the pilum, and I, I think. Depending on what sources you believe, because it's not really known that well, you have a heavy one and a light one, and you throw those and then charge, essentially. Like, I, I don't know if that's if it was accurate for Warband uh Bannerlord, but the Ziphos is in the game. Yeah. Um, but it's a throwing weapon. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that is accurate to actual history, because the weapon I saw in the book was very much not a it was mostly a dagger, you yeah. know, that I would see that somebody, you know. It's probably that, just a not throwing necessarily a game mechanic. To and make also, it easier to a end. very yeah. interesting thing about the Roman Legion is the like, you don't see a lot of like focus on what most people. So basically, throughout history, you have a long arm or like primary weapon and a sidearm, which is usually shorter. Mm-hmm. Uh, this even translates to modern times where your long arm is a long gun, like a rifle, and yeah. then you have a sidearm, which is a pistol. Uh, and it's actually very interesting. There's a lot of uh, like. Uh, correlation between like even the weights of the weapon right like the weight of a pike versus a rifle can be very similar and the weight of a sword to a pistol are also very very similar uh and at the time uh like the spear that the romans use is something that they would throw away and then kind of switch to their swords and go fight which is yeah very different like sort of like the you know shield wall formation there was the shield front and then people with spears behind them and and this is where you they the phalanx was really just a shield wall that wrapped around itself was basically all that was. And the uh, you see with the like Alexander, like Alexander the Great and his phalanx has conquered so many areas and then people who basically fought the same way lost to the Romans. And then after like the Romans were losing people still using spears like the Romans are a weird like blip in history where um, the way that they fought, I guess they didn't need to have the advantages of spear like everyone's using a spear instead of a sword or we're just wrong about how they fought about things, I guess. Um, but after the Romans, everyone's using spears, not just because they're so cheap and easy to train people on, but because they're objectively better. Like, yeah, the- keep your enemy farther away. Good. Yeah. That's like one of the best things to do. Uh, we are going to kind of jump in time going into the medieval era. I want to talk about the English longbowmen. Of course, you have to talk about the English. Well, longbowmen. we're going to go into the invent. You want the Roman siege. siege weaponry. Like we could talk about a lot before we even get to. Well, longbows, we and we do need to talk about Roman siege weaponry. And I mean, these, the, these fuckers on the side could also mention weapons. That would be good. Too. Well, ironically, my I, favorite weapon. This is weapon. not their hobby. This is this no, is my hobby. And like, coming to bows, this is literally. I was about to say bows. That's what I'm saying. Weapon. I'm trying to, you know, like some people here's, that might be interested in things. You know. Here's the thing: we have you, Mr. Brandon, and Mr. Walker here. Fucking, you guys are knowledge encyclopedias here. You have me and Cornette here. We're southern fucking retards. Um, it's hard for us to be able to sit here and join. Well, in even if things. you have but, questions and that, that's oh, yes, good too. Absolutely. You know? Questions are good. We like questions. By the way, you, <laughs> but 
the the longboat was invented for the 12th century, so you kind of but you no, jumped a lot. Jumped far. We do still need to talk about we need to talk about the advent of engineers making things to kill people. So <laughs> yeah, the Roman, the Romans really balliste, catapulta, onager, scorpii, the scorpii, all all in the family of catapults. If you think about it, um, the definition of catapult. Um, Balliste Again, the answer were, to I want to stab that guy, but he's too away. far away. Yeah, or and or protected away. by a wall. <laughs> yeah, uh, onagers. Uh, interestingly enough, sort of. Uh, Can you say that onager? <laughs> the same sort of uh, structure as a balliste, but they were designed to lob um, boulders. I b- believe yeah. that like uh, normal onager is something that. Would most people would think of like when you see catapult, like if you imagine a big wooden spoon with that you like crank down. There's there's up. a there's a big there's a big de- debate and the ballast um of what the onager form truly was. If was it more like a ballista but beefed up, or was it how we would imagine a catapult of but designed to throw multiple objects? Because it was a scatterfire kind of thing. It would throw multiple boulders at once. Uh, it was very very. I love it. I love yeah, siege. Be- I love before siege explosives weaponry. existed, it's kind of hard to like kill a lot of people with one shot. Like you can make bigger artillery, but it's just like, all right, now there's one massive rock. Yeah. So they're more like anti-fortification. Yeah, and we can throw like fire pots and shit like that. But, but you're know, not really using them against like. Well, they did use uh big ass boulders. Like when they were invading like forts that usually were made out of wood, they yeah. pour oil over boulders and the- just throw it at the damn thing. Also, they would just lob cows. Anti-personnel artillery was really the... Uh, the, the I mean, I think bil- we saw that more or less in the middle of the era. The ballista. Lobbing cows over Along the with trebuchet. the whole launching things. And how you say cows here is... Uh, one of the accounts that I love is biological warfare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> with, uh, is it, I believe, Genghis Khan? Yes, or? he threw bodies over He was throwing walls. bodies yeah, with catapults into... The ones he knew that were sick. And, it's, <laughs> and I, think it was, it's, I think it's, it's interesting because I don't know whether or not... Genghis Khan was doing that as a method of biological warfare. If he knew for a fact that that would be or psychological. bad for them, I guarantee you it's more or less psychological. Fucked up, yeah. But medieval era, we knew that being around dead bodies because there was a time, you know, you know, where smells were thought to get you sick and shit like that. Um, so I think more or less Genghis Khan was more or less psychological. I think maybe early medieval period where we're starting to lob like cattle and shit like that, you know, because. Oh. Is it really going to be that disheartening to somebody to see a dead cow or their dead friends, you know, or, <laughs> oh, no, I knew that kid, you know, whereas if you throw a dead cow, I think that's more or less for the explicit purpose of spreading disease um, and contagion into well, a the other thing is that they weren't necessarily just throwing like their dead friends. It's like anyone who died of the Black Plague. I think that. <laughs> oh, you died of a fever. I think Wrote that really they understood that being by, by the ankle, too. So it's like. Like a so being doll physics and Gmon. So being near someone who was sick or being near someone who died of certain diseases. Yeah. I think that was very well understood that, that would also get you sick. Yeah. So yeah, definitely no, no, like there, there was definitely a good perception of I, like I, what could get you sick, but it was the methodology of what the the mechanism that gave you sick. They didn't which, know which is pretty crazy. Yeah, they didn't have germ theory, but awesome. they understood like, hey, if someone coughs on you, yeah. you might get sick. There was a lot of the idea of uh things called miasmas, you know, where it was like the bad smells. Yeah. Um, so like if you look, if you walked into sort of the average like Tudor period hovel, you would find like spruce boughs on the floor, herbs just hanging, which all in the attempt to I just want to be fair to smells. these people because they didn't have microscopes. They couldn't see germs, but 
your nose is a very good chemical receptor. Really and if good. something smells bad by it's design, it is bad. Uh, and there's also good, um, but covering it up isn't going to help. You. Good. There's, oh yeah. There's also good things. Uh, and by proxy, you know, just for them being scared of bad smells is they were actually quite clean. They oh, yeah. bathe actually pretty regularly. Um, were we supposed to drink some of this mead? Uh, where is that at on it, the dock? Bef- we're already talking about the Iron Age, so yeah, we can go it's, ahead and uh, we can we can do the al- this alcohol review, and then we'll dive into medieval. Okay. I guess we'll do. Are we doing all three of these? No, we're just doing the ginger one. The Why are they ginger all in here? The ginger one. Okay. Would you like Would you like to pour this time? Uh, you, you can pour if it. you want, but I'll read. Um, let me see. Honey apple. G- GI dance mute is probably ginger. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll just read it. It's you know I'm not I'm not actually dense mode, but it says GI uh, before it, and it says based on a recipe from about year 1700, it's Nordic honey wine with ginger and hops added. Now, uh, folks, if you aren't aware, just a little interjection. I'm sorry, but we have tried the just normal dance mode, uh, yeah, dance uh, in a previous episode. I forget which, so you'll have to pardon me. I'll pop my, I might put it in the description, but it was amazing. I'm hoping that this ginger just adds that little extra. We'll see. So it says uh, on the back, when drinking mead, we're drinking 5,000 years of preserved history. Mead is one of the few things that allows us to get in touch with a time when life was lived on nature's terms. Our products are based on, upon a recipe from about year 1700. The ingredients are pure and 100% natural, guaranteed free from additives. Honey is the major and most important ingredient in the recipe from gluten and lactose hopefully there's no gluten in your yeah honey. problematic <laughs> who's, who's needing the who's needing the the mead we have added ginger and hops to gi dance mode which <laughs> creates a slightly spicy aromatic and semi-sweet drink i'm excited serve slightly chilled as i am not going to attempt to pronounce yeah. aperitif um i don't know what that is. Should... room temperature as an ex- excellent dessert or warm as the mold honey wine. I should, yeah, I should note that not only is this going to be tasted at room temperature, but the vodka was also tasted at room temperature. Why do I do that? Because your your actual taste buds are more receptive to certain flavors when it is at room temperature. You're supposed to cheat so much drink like a lot of things at a specific temperature. Yeah, much like a uh, coffee. People like iced coffee more because you're going to taste more of the creamer. Then you do the coffee. Have you ever noticed? If you do this experiment, take the same volume of I coffee. I drink black coffee. Take the same volume of coffee, right? Take the same volume of coffee. Have one hot coffee. Have one iced coffee, and add the same amount of creamer. You're going to taste more of the creamer in the iced coffee than you are going to be the. It's going to be zero percent of creamer in both of these for me. That's fine. So, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more 
and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Yeah, do that. That didn't bother It's fine. It's fine. We have artificial shit. Actually, it's not artificial. For the intro they and outro, folks, it. what you I hear is really a actual have pork a pop. Little pop at his old apartment. He at recorded. the old old place that that's like two years old now. Is that that audio asset? Oh, this did not shaking, right? Yeah, a lot. <laughs> I was on one like Hopefully one not. or two of those when you your were at first the old episode place. was. I think either eleven or twelve. I forget. We'll uh, no, Walker's first episode was eleven. Pull. I think yours was. 14, I forget. No, because I Unfortunately, I was on since one. we're using the same shots, hopefully these don't have a uh, mix I, I doubt of it. The, the pumpkin flavor in it. Well, I definitely emptied mine, so I don't know about everyone else. Yeah, he like tongued the damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> we might just Cheeky have to do two pours thing. of this then. Oh no, what a shame. Oh no. It what definitely what smells oh like meat. God. It definitely smells like that of ginger. It smells... Mm. I'm getting like... Fuck. I'm it's getting good. ginger ale Ooh. vibes from that. Yeah, I don't think I, I think I'm getting some pumpkin vodka in this. <laughs> I have mm. I have the mead, delicious honey, right? Delicious honey. And then we're dipping into that sort of hoppy floral taste. And then just the tiniest bit of ginger at the end. Right? Oh. As in like the, the refreshing there sort of go. the refreshing sort of flavors you get when you're when you eat pickled ginger for sushi. But the tailing end of that, you're not getting the, it's not harsh. It's not it's not it's not very bitter, but it's just just a hint. It's perfect. Unfortunately, that's making me want mm. sushi. It's having yeah, a little it's very bit of spicy. Ginger like, there's a lot of ginger. There's to a it. little. It's, it's very but ginger not too forward. much. I don't think I would drink it's this. Perfect. I don't think I would drink this by itself. I would prefer. The, I would actually prefer oh, yeah, the no. plain stuff. I, I prefer the plain stuff over the. Uh, I almost agree with Walker. Actually, um, as much as I actually really like, I love ginger. Mm. I love it. Good. Um. It's I would see this as something so to drink with something. It doesn't seem more of it's a so standalone the drink that it doesn't uh, even taste uh, like mead. I'm getting, I'm getting the honey. I'm getting, for me, the ginger is in the is in the tail end. It has just the slightest hint of ginger. Mm, Maybe we're tasting buds. on different sides of it. Mm. <laughs> tasting it on the wrong side. Mm. No, we're yeah, getting. Did you, did you? Did you? Did uh, you? Did yeah, you shake up the bottle a little bit? Did you like? Stir it up. That's what I asked. I shouldn't have to. <laughs> no, you, you never know. You never know what you think. You have to do it with orange juice. It's quite good. I like that. It's really? definitely not bad. That's not bad. It's, like it's very. It's, I, I like it. Mead should taste like fucking honey, right? Yeah. So I get the honey flavor. There's the slightest bit of the. When, um, when I make my ginger, own, it's, it's literally I'd say, three I'd say you know what? Honey, Why not? Yeast. Why not? Let's go ahead and dive deep. Let's go ahead. Right, do you guys want to save the? The Viking blood. We can do it all now. I think the, we do need a little bit of. Uh, no, let's do the Viking extension. blood. Let's do the Viking blood for the intro for the trivia. Okay, which we're going to yeah. film after this, but I yeah. think it's supposed to be on Thursday. It'll be released Thursday. So yeah, if you guys are we'll, hearing this, we'll have an it'll be released on the podcast. Yeah. I guess it'll be released on the Monday, so uh, the... like usual, and then the trivia Thursday will be released on the Thursday. So yeah, you guys will hear the uh, Viking blood track from the same. <laughs> You guys will be hearing the review uh, from the Viking Blood. Just in case if we don't Thursday. want to cross over flavors. If so we're we doing the uh, reviews. Uh, I mean, we can. Is this like apple cider? And you know what? That's just going to be a sipper. That's just we've already done that one. That one's just the hops and the and the and the mead. Um, no, this one has a, this is apple wine. Yeah, it's literally the same. What do you mean? We did Densk mode, which is the. Uh, have we already done oh, this fuck one? It. Ten, what do you mean? No, we've done that one. Yeah, because I have the other bottle. Are you sure? And the thing, yeah. Okay. 
I have the other bottle in the thing. Um, so we'll that, just... that one's going to be for the trivia. Okay. Yeah, we can bust that one open too. Fuck it. Send it. Uh, we'll do it again. See if, how they compare. Okay. And in fact, and I mean, I haven't grab tried. me glasses from the bar shelf. I got you. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to get proper glass. We're not going to bother with these, these Little, shot glasses. I, I do have to drive home tonight. No, you don't. Oh, I guess I can stay the night. My wife will just be mad. You got biscuits and gravy waiting for you in the morning. I I'm, I really wanted biscuits and gravy, but I'm sorry. I slept in this morning. Yeah, it was at like Fine. it was like four thirty. I was like, "Hey, are we still going fishing?" Well, then he don't... didn't respond. I was like, "Based, I can sleep in." Don't fall. Don't don't, <laughs> don't worry about it. shit. I mean, I woke up at like nine thirty. I was like, "Fuck, they're gonna be here at ten. I should have figured. I should have known you guys. I should have guessed. I should have guessed that you guys would have. Um... What's the timestamp? Uh, we're at thirty nine. I don't know if it picked. Hey, it up watch that out, well. cow. I heard it. I heard it through the. the watch out, cow. So. There you go. I cannot get through this. You know, that is plastic. one of the things I would like to bring Jesus up. Is All right, that, I'll, I'll just read it. All right. Read milled honey apple I'll wine open with it. Pops you read it. Gale added, and it's the same, the same thing as the last bottle. I okay. cannot get through that plastic. You know what? I, I could be wrong as well. This could be mead with honey wine. It very well could be. I could be wrong. Uh, it's, but I do no, it's distinctly. Honey, it's mead with apple wine. I do so distinctly remember Reed Mjod, um when we did the last one. Not I don't one. even remember what episode that was, so I'm not You're sure. Pop, probably Blitz. Not that one. Not that one. <laughs> wasn't thirteen. No. I'm. It was so long. That was last year. Like that was yeah, that was long, long ago. Long time ago. Oh, nice. Good pop on that one on the nice. open. Yeah, I had a better pop. I think it's about the speed you do it at. Oh yeah, for sure. That vacuum pull. Do what half pop? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, this isn't going to be that strong. It's like wine strength, so we don't have to worry about. Getting two what is it at? Too, 12 or 15? I, have, I do have a habit. Uh, uh, we'll read this one. What does it say? 19%. So it's about 20, almost Stronger 20%. Stronger than shit I make. That's good. I've made a 20% before. You just have to add a lot of sugar to it. and I gotta keep mine get a warm. Good, get a good yeast. Okay. It's kind of cold, but Glass I feel like for you? Uh, before Glass I go on vacation, if I make a batch and Would then come like back. Would you like to hand the glass over to onto his table at least? Oh, damn good. Yeah, we lost Cornette for a little bit. He's, uh, he he's out. Oh, but he's back. One of the things that I was mentioning prior to is uh, being on these podcasts, I find it quite fun. Um, but it's almost more of an enjoyable experience. And I, I like bringing stuff I to I like it. this much more. This tastes like honey. Oh, yeah. And it tastes like that. This is yeah. absolutely delicious. Yeah. Um, but I like bringing stuff to it. And uh, yeah. if we, whenever yeah, we move good. on to the bows and stuff, um, uh, I'm a hunter bow hunter been for quite a while so i love i won't mind talking about I, that I, um but i don't do compound I, but i do recurve so you beat me in that kind of realm Same. i've also done recurve uh, what are you bow. not european I've real men use recurve. just straight bows really just a stick I've never, your bow is not so, straight which means you aren't either but on the subject of what i was talking about is like I like being able to ask questions and be able to talk to you guys, but mm-hmm. you get in such deep conversations that I almost feel like I'm going to throw it off. No, which is, which do is it. I, well, yeah, half, need to understand, understand that. half the it's time just, we're rambling. I enjoy the stuff you guys I, are talking about. I think you need to actually, understand the level of autism that I have a lot. So it's, uh, <laughs> Listen, you know, our lot. job, it's quite easy. Like, so no, at, at any point in time, if there's a question, feel free to stop us. Cause what we're doing is just hashing out information. It's just broad, broad, generalized discussions. So, you can just toss that information to give us like hone in on a certain topic. 
It's delicious. Yeah, the Rimyeon with the, the is, apple wine and the mead is just absolutely yeah. out of this world. Fuck. Um, what is that brand? We need to get that brand out there. That what? The yeah, Dan Smyod. D A N S K M Y. Sorry, M J O D. Try and find it at your local Total Wine, your local liquor store, or actually just go ahead and look it up on the internet. It's delicious. It comes in this get that beautiful, going. old, old-fashioned sort of like traditional pottery bottle. It's phenomenal. Yeah, um, beautiful as well as delicious. Uh, I cannot recommend that enough. Yeah. So going back to our discussion on the sort of weaponry, um, the we are diving into medieval era now. Um, the interesting parts and sort of history that most people know about in medieval history pertaining to weaponry is really what comes to mind for me is the English longbowmen uh, yeah. who were so uh, deadly. They were deadly. Um, and they, they were literally the driving factors for uh, technological advancement. We're talking and, about armor and stuff like yeah. that. And I want to get this out of y'all's head right now. Not the two, our viewers right now. If you think the movies portray what the archers look like, I want you to look at those archers and then add about six inches of muscle to those arms. Those bows were not easy to pull back. They well, went to some it's, crazy it's, training. It's even more interesting, Cornette, because if you've seen the archaeological digs that we have found of skeletons of English longbowmen, oh, yeah. their bodies are dismorphed. They're training from the age of 12 years old, yeah. as ordered by the king, has literally altered their skeleton. Yeah. And that is how incredible they were we're talking like 140 pound draw weight yeah. on these bows yeah there's a there's literally what we're a getting into the, the difference between something that's designed to kill animals and designed to kill people in a military manner like that's i the big personally hunt with a dual cam compound bow and mm. i'm using a 80 pound bow yeah it is faster than you will actually ever want to be able to shoot for any almost any like what kind animal of, what kind of fps do you get out of that <laughs> You're asking me questions here that I would, should know the answer for, but I can I imagine I can, I can be able to research. I mean, that, you also don't have the, it, the, the 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 equipment to test that, so I can't. Yeah, really blame I, you. I I've never really tested it because that comes down I, to I, weight of the arrow. That comes down to uh, the weightage, obviously. Put it in perspective. Let's just say you will hear it come off the boat, and when it hits the target, it is a mm-hmm, solid yeah. smack. Like it, it is hard. Yeah. He's not punching um, through the the armor slash maybe killing the horse because they don't really know how mm-hmm. Agincourt was one. He, he's not doing whatever yeah. Agincourt was that, at three hundred <laughs> meters. Yeah, this is the thing though is that the English longbowmen, they're the 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 knights. Uh, it really drove the advent of plate armor. And so eventually, the only thing, unless that knight could properly protect their horse, was really just anti-cavalry to kill the horses. Um, and it was used to great effect uh, for, the, for a very good portion of medieval history. And that's the part of, of, of time where I, I really love gravity, because that is a prime example of a military innovation that had driven so heavily a defensive technology. Right, it literally it huh, spearheaded the the French <laughs> and their and England's other enemies to get better defenses for their people. Right, of course, if they were knights, they were well equipped. And we're talking about battles of thousands and thousands of archers. It is in record that these are thousands and thousands of of 
English longbowmen because, you know, from the age of 12, the king said every 12 year old must be practicing archery. And so he was already training his 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 archers. Yeah. Like it was it was they incredible. Were, they were shooting enough arrows that opponents were able to hey, say Walker. that they would Go have look actual up shade archers. in the air. Yeah. Be able to block the sun. If you're uh, like um, that many arrows, if you can be able to create a shade for the the enemy to be able to see the role of the longbow, maybe somewhat overstated, like they weren't bad. Yeah, don't get me wrong, but they weren't armor. They weren't like like the most crazy. They weren't Call of Duty level kind of (laughs) untouchable. No, they still got fucked by cavalry. There was still very big issues that they had to defend. Where Jesus, they had to defend. They had to defend against troops. Um, so I don't want you going over there and saying Calvary was the big oh. factor either. What I'm going to say is that plate armor is better against all types of weapons. Not blunt. You're wrong. No, I'm right. Okay, so if I have plate armor, right, you see like the pot belly. Yeah. And I the, have the, ten, the a 10 pound mace. I'm knocking your ass out. The way that blunt weapons would work is by making the armor unwearable. However, if you're not attacking the weak point, like what you do with every other weapon. And what will you do with the maze, too? Uh, it's not really necessarily so, better against... As in court, we had 5,000 knights, men-at-arms, and archers, whereas the French army was much larger. Estimations varying from 30,000 to as high as 100,000. <laughs> of course, because... So, to be able to answer your earlier question, to put in perspective, my bow is at around 80 pounds. Mm-hmm. They have t- tested my bow for 80 pounds at shooting at 308 feet per second. That's a lot you know, less than what's going to be happening with 140, 140 pounds, pound but 308 yeah. with a 500 grain arrow. Mm-hmm. That's what I shoot. Well, with 140, that's moving. To talk about 140, you could probably hear the whistle of it cutting out. To talk about blunt weapons against armor, if you were to hit some guy in the chest plate, that whole chest plate is designed to spread out the impact. And not to you mention, hit him in the helmet. You know, you're still hitting him in the helmet. You can hit him in the helmet with a sword. And hit him in the helmet with anything. It's yeah. going to be like hitting him in the head, but protected by a helmet. So if yeah. you hit him hard enough, he might have a concussion. Not to mention they also have padded coils, really and there's, there's, there's multiple layers of defense. There's multiple layers. They stopped wearing chain at some point because of how effective plate was at stopping how things. That bodkin arrows were too against Daniel. <laughs> that was another driving factor. Yeah. Was yeah, they so, changed the arrowhead? Well, if you imagine wearing chain under certain levels of plate, but yeah, like, it's just. That's a but lot of don't, crazy. You don't need to wear the chain. I think if you the, just have a thick enough or good enough. I think plate. the heaviest plate armor that that knight got up to was about twenty-ish pounds uh, across oh. your whole body. Oh no, I'm so, not sure that's true. No, it's heavier. There's a there's a set sure, of armor. Like that's seventy. Let me just look heavier. up the let me look up the heaviest. Yeah, so I, can, I think armor. the heaviest one it was for specific cavalry that were like just armored to the fucking cavalry, team. and they were they. Were recorded. Their armor was recorded to weigh like close to a hundred pounds. So the heaviest medieval armor ever created was the medieval jousting armor used by nobles. I don't want to hear that. No, how heavy was that? How heavy was it? Uh, We're looking at one hundred and ten pounds. Okay, so I think seventy pounds is what we're looking at. Well, I mean, fourteenth century, fifteenth century. That's for a sport where you're not really intending on dying well I'll, I'll concede let's just say 110 pounds i'm be, no no be good. I'm, I'm not saying that 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 is what they were using in the battlefield i think from my memory like 70 pounds for a full plate armor it was about right uh and like you have you let have do, to let me do average like we're looking at uh correlations between like weights of weapons like weights of what you carry now and weights of what you carried back in like the 1100s are very similar 
Yeah. So armor takes up part of that. Well, I got the thirty five. I got the equivalent of how much it would cost in today's money about two hundred fifty thousand dollars. That's about the co- the cost of a house. So, um. Anyway, on blunt weapons, you're not really transmitting yeah. damage. Average forty five to seventy pounds is the about average. Oh, you know that on the head. armor. Nice. What you know the weight on the head? You said average probably seventy pounds. Well, uh, just from memory, I watch a lot of videos on this. Um. So with blunt weapons, you're not really transmitting damage through the armor, uh, especially not well-built armor. Now, well-built armor is probably still the minority of armor that's out there. So maybe like, you know, you have some guy who can afford cheap armor. It looks like literally some Mad Max shit or like, you know, very crude. Pieced together from shitty yeah, found on a random pieces of metal. Like someone took like five yeah. shovels and welded them together, <laughs> like forge welded. Cheap like, metal. You yeah. know, that, that kind of stuff exists out there. Like, we have very few uh, examples of it, but I can't remember what battle it is. Lindy Beige has a video on it where there's, like, a battle where they just, like, everyone started smelling really bad, so they just buried them instead of looting them. <laughs> and so you see lots of, like, there's lower too many class. Bodies to go through. You see a lot of lower class armor, not just, like, the professional, well-built armor. Uh, and there's differences it is there. Also, so, sorry, I'm just uh but just because you have a hammer and you have to think like a war hammer a mace they're not like five pound sledgehammers these are really light hammers the fact is that it is though a blunt armor or it's a blunt weapon the way that you would use it is not just oh if i hit the guy he's going to take damage it's if i hit him in the shoulder where all, there's all these very finely made plates that right. articulate so that he has the full range of motion it'll bend one yeah. So you make the armor unwearable. That's, that's the way that it's and better. I, and it's not transmitting damage through the armor. And I never said that it would fucking. But I felt it was it important went, to talk no, about. No, it's just it because people just have looking at you. But he yeah, likes, he likes your because eyes. He's because you, at you. Because you brought eyes. I'm but looking at you because you brought up the blunt that. armor. But in my opinion, in my opinion, if I were to go into a fight, right back in the day, you know, medieval, I'm a peasant. I got to go fight. I'm going to bring a mace. To a He's fight. not carrying that armor. Like if you could afford it, I'm going to bring. Oh, I'm going to bring a spear Honestly, because spears are objectively better be than archer. hand maces. If you could afford right. such a piece of equipment, yeah. Sure. Um, I mean, let's spears also. Are I, just it's also. Better. I think it's very important to note. Didn't they have to get their own equipment? It's also important to note. Depending if you on were, the area, if yes. you were a yeah. conscript, yes. So, like, that's where we start thinking of like. So there's a difference between man at arms and. Uh, just your local rabble. I mean, man at arms is kind of a same term as really as like your peasantry that you hired. Um, but there's definitely is a difference, you know, if you weren't able to afford your weapons, you had to source it somehow. And that yeah. was often like pitchfork shit like that. Um, I, it is important to note the, the interesting debate going on with historians about the flail. Mm, yeah. The flail. Apparently they're, they're real big on the fact that if you swing it, it goes around the shield and it hits them. Well, but here's the thing is like our only evidence of flails. I mean, sure we have stuff. But those are usually like post, you know, medieval productions. The artwork I mean, that they're nowadays, depicted it's just in. just a sex toy. Jesus Lord. The artwork that they're depicted in are in illustrations that are very much fantastical. As in like we're seeing dragons and yeah. flying creatures and stuff like that. And it's very, it's a very big debate right now in the, in the historical community about was a flail an actual weapon you can find on the battlefield? Because if you think about it, I feel like in a that lot of time, the arguments that I've heard at least are whether or not it's like as effective as just using a mace. It the the question is is the effect the efficacy inside of like a line battle situation. But does 
But does the lack of efficacy mean that people won't use it? Like nunchucks, yeah. objectively, are not as effective as a stick of the same length. There's a lot of the nunchucks. Together. Many a, a lot of a lot of historians are thinking that was more like a ceremonial type of thing. But it's know? possible that people thought it worked better and made them, even though they were wrong. Yeah, very likely. Um, but a lot of the times we're seeing, maybe if you think about it too, if you're in a line battle. And you're wielding a flail, which you typically have to swing and stuff like that. You don't really yeah. have a lot of room when you when your comrades are right beside you. I could see it maybe in the event. I could see it maybe in the event of a knight on on horseback. On horseback, yeah, yeah. cavalry that could work. Have a that little would bit more sense. space between them. At the same time, even though you know there's like a flail, you don't necessarily need to be doing some like nunchuck tricks with it. Yeah. You can literally just swing it over or over, yeah, and then you have. And those but, are those are things where that's why it's still up in the air. It's like maybe maybe the flail did see some action on the battlefield. Maybe it didn't. Maybe it was like a very rare weapon that you would see and not really widely used because of a very particular way of you having to use it. So the flail is a very interesting weapon, yeah. not only in like just concept, but also like archaeological sort of like findings of what it was actually used for. But yeah, just a little fun thing but about the flail. An important note about medieval warfare is that everyone was using pole arms as their main armament, except for archers. But basically, everyone was using spears. And the other thing we're well, talking about, like about it, random the people are using spears, but spying there. There was actually a requirement for people to use. Yeah, sure. So there was actually a requirement <laughs> for people to own weapons. Like as a man of fighting age, you are required to own armor. And you're required to own a weapon because you have to serve on the militia. Whether that be leather armor, padded coifs, padded like, armor. And be like, hey, yeah. you know, depending on how many people are there, it's like in basic when you have fire guard comes to your comes to your turn. You are now going to sit on the wall yeah. or you're going to police the area like you are. You are now best game part of the town watch Walker. Best medieval game. Kingdom come deliverance. Yes, kingdom come deliverance. Yeah. It's amazing. It yeah. is the most phenomenal. If you want to play a documentary. <laughs> play Kingdom yeah. Come Deliverance. No, it is literally so fucking amazing. It is the greatest game. I forget. The, no, the main I don't story know. is, of course, all fictional, but yeah. everything I don't in it know is so if authentic. It is, I don't know if it was Tudor period. To me, it looks like Tudor period. It's 1403. It takes place in 1403. Okay, 1500s would be Tudor period. So, so where you start seeing a, full plate when full plate is becoming a thing, but not necessarily the standard is when it happens. Um, it's such a good game. In fact, I'm gonna have to go home and play it now. Yeah, it's yeah. so good. The, it's my favorite game of yeah, all time. The um, I have no idea. I've had, never played it. You had right? your any questions about medieval weaponry and stuff like that? That we're still in what's called the Iron Age. Yeah, we're it, this is a loose thing. They're of, really of getting into what, to touch on. what you could call steel. I think at this point. Yeah, we're really oh, starting to light steel. Really, almost so like, they've at this point like, in time uh, hardened iron. I mean the. The weapons that like a rich person are going to be using are, and the armor is going to be steel. That's not going to be necessarily like the best steel we can make today, but it's going to be steel. At this point in time, uh, so monastic sort of locations really honed in on the process of, of refining iron. At this point, iron is so widespread. We're done with bronze. We're done with everything. Now as all weapons are of iron and we start doing alloys with iron now where we get steel and shit like that low carbon steel and we're just making stuff i disagree iron. brass is at this point the best material for use in cannons and cannons and any sort of firearm i mean yeah if we're still well if we're going that, into we're talking we're even going of a into, jump here nope no, 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 no it's still medieval we're talking about like 
Well, we we weren't talking about anything with gunpowder yet. This but is, that's this is another of, step. That's fair. Or, like okay, we haven't even the court mentioned the fact that. Oh wait, 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 wait. So the counterpoint to this is if we're talking about let's say stuff in the 15th century, right? We're still talking well, about. I'm not, I'm not just talking we're about still talking time about firearms. Itself. I'm talking about the weapons that were used in the war. Like we were gunpowder weapons saw their days yeah. in the 14th century. So from the 13th century yes. onward, we saw primarily siege weapons. So like, yes, this know. is bringing in a so new subject in, from what we have uh, already I think it was, been like. I think it was like 40 years before Columbus sailed the ocean blue. So like 13, uh, 1452. 1452. Yeah, 1452. When, uh, Constantinople fell, and Constantinople fell because of a. I remember right, he was Greek, but essentially a European engineer who decided that he could make a really big fucking cannon. Yeah. So we're still talking in the medieval era, not the Renaissance, not the what's next on the list of eras we're talking about, which is the colonial age. But We're talking about still the medieval era. Firearms became uh, widespread in common use, especially for sieges, but also in anti-personnel and inside the formations that uh, of infantry. There were there would be gunners. Yeah. As mm, the proliferation, but brass of, was better than steel because they could make brass better, cast better, and the would, proliferation like, how when soft they it was compared to steel. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, yeah in the fifteenth fourteenth century, we're seeing you know this is late medieval period. Really, uh, we're starting to see gunpowder come out of the thing thanks to Asia, <coughs> and. We're starting to put things on boats and stuff like that to destroy things at very far distances because yeah. if you look at like Roman warfare, all you had was a ballista, and that would like maybe go through some siding of a of a boat. Usually, was and there was actually a big proliferation of weaponry for uh, a Roman and Greek warship was just a battering ram. Yeah, so you'd yeah. run your ship into the other person, hope it's strong enough, and then climb and board and defeat them that way. Yeah, for archers still and stuff like that. All the way up until the late late medieval era you're not really seeing firearms being a big thing yeah so this have, is like turn of the turn of a technological era really so they have the after castle the clock right and the forecastle and so you imagine these ships as basically being a when lot I, of archers when I go to and sleep, they're basically I want you to whisper ship terms in my ear they're basically forts at sea right yeah. truly so the middle area like the lower area in the middle if they, someone was to board, that's the easiest point to do it. And now you have two literally like stone, I mean, not necessarily stone, but literally fortified towers on either mm-hmm. end of them shooting onto into, the main deck, into two sides of them, yeah. right? Onto the main deck. Uh, and that's a lot of how, or basically a lot of uh, naval battles at the time were decided by who was better at boarding, like going all the way back to galleys on the mediterranean mm-hmm. carthage versus rome yeah. greek merchant ships or which were retrofitted to carry troops as well and a lot of um merchant vessels at the time were built with warfare in mind in because, production because uh certain areas were supposed to provide certain amount of, of ship uh ships to the navy in wartime so you may as well if you're going to be building ships for commerce you may as well also be building them for warfare at the same time and having differences in warships and uh merchantmen were not it's not that big. Like you don't need to have, you know, let's say for a first line in the 1700s, like 120 gun ports built into the side. You just need a, a fucking floating piece of wood and that people can fight on. It, interestingly enough, since you want to mention the, the black powder is yeah. in the year 1500, we start seeing the meshing of melee weapons and muskets. 
we're getting into the start of the Renaissance here. Yes. So this is yeah. 1500 here. Like Pike um, and Shot era, which we can talk about. I mean, the next thing it says Colonial Age, which is a big jump from the medieval era, like a couple hundred years. But yeah, a little bit. I mean, I think unless people have any things about the medieval era, Though, depending really. well, on how you call the colonial rough, age, this is a rough thing. thing. Like, yeah. we the, need to touch each thing. The fall of Constantinople happened 40 mm-hmm. years before the discovery of the New World for most of Europe because of allegedly or apparently the uh, the Danish slash Viking uh, peoples had had a settlement in some place called Vinland, um, which they have they found Viking settlements from well before any other European uh, or European peoples had settled the area, though they hadn't really like lasted that long and they didn't bring the the idea back to Europe. Yeah. So whoever who really discovered it, people who found it and kept it secret, or the people who found it and told everyone about it. Right. right. So. The uh, but yeah, fifteen hundreds is where we start seeing pikes and muskets on the battlefield. Uh, linemen with either musket or a pike. <laughs> the idea is that the uh, you used to have pikes and muskets, but like muskets fucking suck against horse uh, horse mounted troops or cavalry, where pikes are like really good at killing them. Uh, and then yeah, the muskets the way, are like, better at killing pikes. Timestamp for y'all is like sixteenth, seventeenth century. So like. You know, the years 15 to 1600, um, where we start are doing more firearm kind of shit, you know, founding a Jamestown, like the, yeah. the level of development in the new world is still so low at this point, though it is still it's after the great die off of uh, Native Americans because of smallpox. So like the, the Europeans are basically uncontested at this point, but uh, there's not really like huge settlements Like you don't see really like like I think Manhattan Island had been settled in the 1600s. Uh, but it's not like, you know, there's the 13 colonies and they have huge amounts of population and they have enough, you know, manpower to oppose the crown. It's still like very, yeah. very small yeah. colonies that are very, very much struggling to stay alive. Uh, we get into like, if we're going to talk about naval stuff again, uh, age of sail type stuff where like, yeah, everyone has like loads of cannons, like, you know, 70 plus like. Imagine the cannons you would have with an army. You have more than that on your main battleships. Um, yeah, for I sure. believe yeah, for uh, sure. the Spanish Armada in this era. Uh, scary. They were scarier than the um, the the Royal turns Navy. Out, turns out, wind sucks and it will kill you. <laughs> uh, you know what else will oh, kill yeah. you? Fire ships, mm-hmm. because they're like, hmm, it's hard to sink them with gunfire. You just sink them if we just fill a ship with explosives and sail it at the enemy. <laughs> Like tossing a powder keg overboard and sea of thieves. That's really with like the pe- ship. people say people accredit it to the weather. It was a combination of the weather and the fact that they were just like, hey, we've turned a ship into a large bomb. Yeah. And we're sailing it at you. Yeah. Anything? No. Well, I mean, naval battles, when it comes to naval battles, is there's a lot of actual like use to it. There's a lot of history like, um, of technologically tech. With with cannons specifically we can failing, and say that their rowboats and their their sail ships weren't able to move a lot. But you know, if you go into the technical aspect, even modern day sailboats that have no engines, that you can have you can maneuver quite easily with just a simple bit of wind. Are we talking about it's, just like the physics of sailing? All right, so yeah, like, if we want to get into if this, they really wanted to like have warfare uh, who, and do better, like they they had full crews for this and. Like the manpower and the ability and, and the knowledge. If we're talking about like the physics of sailing. It was the everyone here knows about uh, about Bernoulli's principle, right? You know, fast means less pressure, slower means more pressure, right? So, which we don't know why. Uh, it just yeah. do. 
So sails, you got to think of them as wings, like on an airplane. And the speed doesn't come from the movement of the airplane. It comes from the fact that the wind is moving over the sail. So you can go any direction, you know, minus like some direction into the wind, depending on how far you can rotate your sails and Mm -hmm. other factors. Yeah. But basically think of the sails as airfoils or wings. So if you have airflow over them, even though you're like, let's say, 45 degrees from the wind, it's still making lift. But the lift is sideways, so it just pushes you forward. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, I think, what uh, Marcus was trying to get at. Um, we are going to... Well, what I'm, what I'm also saying here is you were talking about the fact that uh, the weather and everything influences how they fight and all that, right? But yeah. what I'm saying is they had actually a good amount of knowledge and skill to be able to navigate and correctly... They had their whole lives to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, basically. It's just they, they did a good job actually being able to be out on the water and being able yeah. to fight and properly maneuver. But there were also issues with, like, if the wind was too strong, they're going to get blown into the rock. Up until the point... Raise the sail more. Even all the way up until um, you have, uh, like, steam-powered ships. Any tall ship, if the wind is too strong... Yeah. Like, you start losing the airfoil-like qualities, and it's now just, you're like a piece of paper. You're being blown with the wind. You're going the same direction as the wind, no matter what you do. Exactly. It's uh, it's there's you know this could actually be two episodes. Uh, we're this already at, like five. we're already at an hour and seven minutes. Um, uh, so I think what we're gonna do here is we're actually gonna split this into two segments. We're gonna leave this episode as it is. And we're so close. We're and we're we at can, the colonial age, really. Right I mean, now. We, can, we can do. We can save that for next. Episode. We can we can dive in because really we're getting into like really fast, rapid successions of of technological development not only for i even talked about vehicles uh, but also rangefinders fire control exactly yeah, unitary armaments yep, exactly what i'm talking about machine guns yep. smokeless At powder this point, almost everything steel because right now and so we're getting into like steel clad ships and everything so oh, yeah. i think ironclad i i think yeah ironclad i think we'll go ahead and uh digress from there we'll go ahead and uh leave this uh if you guys want to catch part two keep an eye out uh we'll go ahead and send part two of this whole weapons discussion later but uh thank you all so much for joining us for the whole magazine i'm uh, getting paid right <laughs> don't for, don't forget to check us out on facebook and check out the website uh shop we have stickers on there there's gonna be more to come buy the stickers or brandon will be sad yeah buy the stickers we're so sad. designing more uh yep we were in the works of designing more stickers so keep an eye out and uh as always have a good one you want to say something no no <laughs> you bitch leaving that in even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.